Thank you for those reminder of those wonderful words that God is to be exalted above all things, especially in our own lives, and so we're grateful to be reminded of that. I want you to take your Bibles tonight and return with me to John chapter 15, and as we have done in the past, I want to begin our time just tonight with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you again for our time in the Word tonight. May our lives be enriched as we interact with the truth that you would have for us here. Help us to receive it for what it is, not the words of men, but it is it is, the Word of God. And may that be impactful upon us just as your Spirit would have it be in each and every one of our lives that you would be glorified and honored through us. In Christ's name, amen. Well, we're returning tonight to John chapter 15 and our study of Jesus' final hours, really, on earth. And I remember as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of one of my seminary professors years ago. One of my most favored, actually, would do more than teach us academic lessons when I was in class with him. He would often take time to just open up the Scriptures to us and give us a devotion, really, of just from any passage in Scripture. And in that class, I would continually laugh under my breath as he was saying that he wanted us to turn to a certain passage because he would, he would give us that text that he was going to take us to, and inevitably he would say, now before we turn there, I want you to turn here, but wait a minute, before you go there, I want you to turn to this passage. And, and, and inevitably it would be three or four times that he would say that, and it was kind of like watching a butterfly go from flower to flower to flower to flower before it ever landed on a certain flower. And you could always tell the underclassmen in the class uh, when when he would do that because he would he would oftentimes give a give the passage that he was talking about and then the underclassmen would always turn to that text really fast and then and then he said but wait a minute before you go there gonna, and the upperclassmen would just sit back and wait for the flower wait for the butterfly to land on the final passage you know because we knew that it was going to happen. Well, tonight I don't want to do that. I just want to turn to John chapter 15. (laughs) And uh, sometimes you you don't have to learn the lessons from a professor. It's just good to just go to where you say you're going to go. So we find ourselves here in John chapter 15, right in the middle of Jesus' last physical night on earth. He has already sent Judas away to do... Satan's bidding, and now in chapter 15, in the midst of the final instructions to his disciples, to a saved people, as I have entitled this series, Christ is explaining to them what Christian life is to be like here on earth, what life is going to be like as we walk following him, what it's going to be like to be in a relationship with him, what it's going to be like to be in a relationship with one another what it's going to be like to have those interactions with one another, what it's going to be like in our relationship with the world, and what that's supposed to look like. Those are really the three different relationships that we have as Christians. We have a relationship with our Savior Jesus Christ, personal, one-on-one, interacting with Him in that personal way through His Word. We have a relationship with each other as Christians as we interact with one another in our own Christian lives and we have a relationship with the world and all of those are different. A relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is unlike any other relationship that you and I have 
on this earth. In fact, the Bible describes Christ as king. It describes us as servants of him. He is our king. It says that he is the good shepherd, that we are his sheep. We are the sheep of his pasture, it tells us. In the church, he is the head of the body. We are the body, he is the head. And here, in John chapter 15, he is the vine, we are the branches. This is our relational interaction with our Savior. And we learned last week that there are two types of branches in the vine, or two types of branches being described here by this metaphor of the vine and the branches. There are those who are the true branches, those who are truly Christians, and we'll speak about those in just a minute, but there are also the false branches. And in the context of this passage, Judas is the false branch. Judas is the one who has been sent out. Judas is the one who is going to betray Jesus Christ. And for all intents and purposes, he appeared to be a real branch. He appeared to be one who was like all the others. He appeared to be one who was a true follower of Jesus Christ. But the entire purpose of a branch, as we learned last time, the entire purpose of a branch being in the vine is that the branch would produce fruit. If the branch does not produce fruit, as verse 2 tells us, then it is taken away. Verse 6, it's thrown away as a branch. It dries up. They gather them. They cast them in the fire. They are burned. So the reason that it does not bear fruit is because it is not truly a real branch. It is not a true branch because true branches take nourishment from the vine and the result in a true branch is fruit bearing. So this entire passage and the entire point that Jesus wants to stress is that very reality to his disciples. That true branches bear fruit. The disciples' purpose in life, our purpose as Christians in life, as it relates to our relationship with Jesus Christ, as it relates to to Him in that relationship that we have with Him, is that we bear fruit. This is the whole point. The disciples' purpose is to bear fruit. Our purpose is to bear fruit, to be fruit bearers. God did not save us so that we would stay the way we were before salvation, so that now after salvation we would be just like the way we were before salvation. That's not why God saved us. Not why He sent His Son to die. He saved us. He grafted us into Christ so that we might be fruit bearers for Him. So if a branch does not produce fruit, and it shows itself to actually be a false branch. It's a pretty simple, easy equation. It's a false branch. It's worthless. And according to verse 6, as I just said, it's gathered up in the end times, and it is burned with fire. Really, that's just a picture of hell itself. Why? Why does that happen? Because that's all it's good for. That's all the false branch is good for. And, by the way, just as a side note for us here tonight, that, that it isn't the kind of fire that we might 
think of when we heat the house. The fire being spoken of here is the kind of fire that is used simply for consuming things that are worthless. That's all it is. It's a fire to burn up the things that are worthless. Not a fire that's built that has a purpose for, for or an intent in which the fires in our homes would be. We kindle fires in our homes. We live in a cold place. We burn fires because we need to heat our homes. But some of us have fires in other places and we call them burn piles. It's the place where we burn the useless twigs, the sticks, the garbage. Things that are good for nothing. In ancient Palestine, the wood that came from the branches of the vines in the vineyards was known only to be so soft it was good for nothing. It was to be used for nothing else, no other purpose. It couldn't be used to build furniture. It couldn't be used to build anything else. It was just considered worthless, and so they'd take it, dry, dry it up, gather it up, throw it in the fire. It was consumed very quickly. So the only thing it was good for was the burn pile. That's the idea here when Jesus says they're they're worthless. They're thrown away. They're good for nothing except to be burned. The other branches, however, the true ones, they would be useful for fruit bearing. Last time we were together, I said that There was a process. There was a process by which the vine dresser gets the production of fruit. And I wanted us to look into that tonight. We know the players in the metaphor here. Remember, that was the first point, the players. The players are the vine, which is the the true vine. You have the father who's the vine dresser. Every branch that doesn't bear fruit, he says in verse 2, he takes away. And we know Jesus is the vine. We know the father is the vine dresser. And we know who the branches are. The branches are either false disciples or they're true disciples. The purpose, remember, was fruit-bearing, production in the lives of true branches. That's the purpose. So how does that happen? What's the process? How does the vine dresser produce fruit in the branch? And I think we can, from this, really pull out of it three Three steps. There's a three-step process, if you will, to fruit-bearing. And not one of these steps can be taken out or there is no fruit production. And I'll just list them for us and then we'll talk about them a little bit. Number one, there is cleaning. Cleaning, verse 3. Two, there is cleansing. Cleansing, we'll see that second part of verse 2. And then there's cleaving, cleaving, cleaning, cleansing, and cleaving, cleaving, verses 4 to 6. I want to talk about these three steps. The first and most obvious is that the fruit bearer must be a true branch. He must be a true branch. Jesus says in verse 3, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. This is the second time that Jesus Christ has told them that they are clean. You remember back in chapter 13, verses 10 and 11, Jesus said to them, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. 
Not all of you, of course, or he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. So this is the second time that he uses this word clean. The word clean in the original language is catharsis. It really is the word for, it's katharos, but it's the word for catharsis. Catharsis is a cleansing. It carries the meaning of being thoroughly clean uh, spiritually. That's the idea here. It's a spiritual cleansing. And this is the thing that we draw from this idea that no one will ever begin to bear good fruit for God. No one will begin to bear any fruit for God if they are not spiritually clean in Christ. You could use the analogy of Christ in chapter 13 until a person is bathed in the blood of Christ by way of faith. They will never be a producer of fruit, let alone good fruit. Uh, The reality is this. You have to be clean. You have to be saved. No one who is unsaved, no one who isn't attached to Christ, no one who doesn't know Christ by faith is a fruit bearer. It doesn't matter how much they are artificially attaching themselves to the vine. It doesn't matter how much they are saying that they know Jesus Christ through religious activity or religious words or human acts of philanthropy and human kindness. No matter how much they do that, it is still a bad good. It is still a goodness by the world's definition and not by God's definition. It may look good to men but it will never justify them before God. The agent through which that takes place, in verse 3, notice, is the Word. You are already clean. Why? How? Because of the Word which I have spoken to you. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, so faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. It isn't just any word. Faith doesn't come by human reason. It doesn't come through the philosophies of men. In fact, Colossians says, don't be taken captive by the philosophies of men. There's only one way to become a true and living branch, and that is by faith through the word of Christ. By faith in the one who is the living word. Jesus says in John chapter 17, verse 17, in his prayer for all believers, including you and I who are sitting here even tonight, Father, sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you, really because of the truth which I have said to you. In other words, Jesus is saying in John 17, just like he's saying here in John 15, make them holy. Make them holy. Sanctify. That's the word. Hagias. Make them holy by the agency of the truth. Your word is truth. Make them holy by your word. So for fruit to be produced in a life, for fruit to happen in a life, the life must first be spiritually clean by the word of Christ must have a relationship with Christ. That's the idea. So that's the first step. You have to be saved. That would make sense. No unbeliever is bearing fruit for God. No 
pagan out in the world is bearing fruit for God. No artificially attached branch here in any kind of religious church is bearing fruit for God, no matter what their life looks like, no matter how good it seems, and no matter how good it looks. You have to be attached to Christ. You cannot have salvation without Christ. I was in Prague, Czechoslovakia, or uh, the Czech Republic this last week and wandering through the town, seeing the town, a, more, a very beautiful city by, by uh, every estimation of the European history because it was not bombed during the war. So all of the buildings that are standing there are still the buildings that were standing there for thousands of hundreds of years, some built in the 900s. And yet many of them are churches, Catholic churches, by the way, and yet they're just dead places. They're as dead as the stones they are built from. Why? Because they don't know Christ. They don't know Christ. You have to be clean. And the second step in the process of fruit bearing by the vine dresser in the life of the branch is cleansing. Cleansing. If you notice verse 2, it says, And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. This is cleansing. And this really is truly the crux of the issue for us as the believer. Fruit production begins at salvation. When salvation is accomplished, we are true vines. And fruit production begins even there. But greater fruit production is produced through the pruning process. The word prune here is the same root word for clean. For clean. You are clean. Same root word in verse 3. You are already clean. In other words, you're already pruned. You're already clean. You're already. It's the same root word uh, being seen here. The constant cleansing, the constant pruning that takes place in our lives. At the loving hand of the vine dresser is what Jesus is talking about. It keeps us cleansed from all those things that would distract us that might put uh, life-giving effort to worthless things. That's, that's the idea. It cleans all of that. He, that is the vine dresser, prunes it that it might increase its fruit production. For several years, when my children were little, we lived in Northern California, very close to wine country. Napa Valley was just over the hill, and you could drive for miles through the vineyards and see all of the lush vineyards of grapes growing in the fields. And if you stopped at any number of them, as we did from time to time, they would give you a tour, and they would tell you what it takes to produce grapes that would make that they would use to make the wine. And part of the process, every single one of them, without a T, would say there was multiple prunings that you had to do to the plant. Throughout the year, the vine dresser would go out into the field and he would remove all of the unnecessary and unneeded shoots from the branch. And they would do that in different ways, depending on where it was on the vine. Sometimes they would just remove a whole section of grapes, a whole, a whole part of grapes from the plant, unwanted flowers from the plant, so that the plant itself 
well, the production would be concentrated to a certain part of the plant. So they would have a group of grapes over here. They would remove those so that these better grapes would get all of the life-flowing juice. Sometimes they would just simply take a knife and remove a weak branch or, or one that had become too long on the, on the vine itself. But most of the time, they said they would just pinch the end of a branch. Just take their fingers and pinch, squeeze the end of a branch together so that it would slow its growth in length, which would cause it to produce grapes that held greater quantities of the juice they wanted to get. Every time pruning took place, there was some kind of trauma involved for the plant, some kind of pain caused if we could call it pain in the plant world. And if the vine dresser's goal is to have the branch, as Jesus says, produce much fruit or bear more fruit, then in our spiritual lives, it's going to require much pruning. And that means God is going to allow a whole host of good pain for us in the process. The pruning that God does in our lives removes from us those things in our life that would cause us to be to be a spiritual detri- those things that are spiritually detrimental. That's probably a better way to say it. Those things that are spiritually detrimental to the life of the vine being produced in us. Remember, Jesus is the vine. The vine dresser prunes us. He removes all of those things that are spiritually detrimental to our life becoming like the vine. To the vine being produced in us. God is pinching off, if you will. Sometimes even cutting away our bad habits. He's surgically removing sometimes our own selfish priorities. Causing our values to be changed. What was important over here to us, God pinches that a bit so so it's not so important. So the, the juice doesn't flow so quickly there and we have a greater production over here. Anything that might be hindering our spiritual growth, our Christ-likeness. Anything that hinders that, God can and God will remove that so that every true branch will bear much fruit, he says. That is God's desire in our life, that our fruit bearing would increase, not that we would stay the same, not that we would go backwards, not that we would be just like we were before we became a vine, but that we would bear much fruit. It's interesting when David penned Psalm 119, He said this in verse 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. The word afflicted there carries the idea of the loving chastisement of God upon his life. Before God lovingly chastised my life, before God lovingly pruned me, before he lovingly pinched me off, before he lovingly cut away things that were hindering me, I went astray. Astray. Sometimes we need to be pruned because of sin. 
Other times, it has nothing to do with our sin. But God is pruning us. But every time God prunes us, regardless of what it's for, it, it has the purpose that we be cleansed so that nothing will hinder the bearing of much fruit. That's God's desire. Sometimes we can have the tendency to think that it's cruel. The less we think that it's a cruel act of the vine dresser to pinch or prune the branch, we cannot forget the words of the writer of Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews tells us that it's certainly not a cruel thing for the vine dresser to do what he must do to the plant in order to produce exactly what he would have it produce. In fact, verses 5 to 11 say specifically this, you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It's for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which you have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they, that is our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. You see, this is the plan of God. This is the way God grows us. This is how we are made into Christ-likeness. So we can stop kidding ourselves and stop thinking that we would be better off if we would just have God leave us alone and we could do it ourselves. The reality is we cannot do it ourselves. In fact, we would not even do it ourselves. We would not remove anything that we must remove from our lives if we were left to ourselves. Praise God, as we were talking tonight about the mercies of God, praise God that he is merciful to prune us. David would exclaim in Psalm 119, verse 71, It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Here's David exclaiming that, that I went, I was, uh, before I was afflicted, I went astray. And where did that affliction come from? It came from the one who loves him the most, the Father in glory. And God afflicts him. And it's a, he says, it was good for me to be afflicted. Because even when I was afflicted and in my affliction, I learned the very word of God. Almost to say that there was no other way for me to learn it. What a blessing it is from our gracious vine dresser that he would prune us. His pruning may pain us, it may cause us pain, but it will never over it will never overwhelmingly harm us. And the more we are pruned, the more we are like the vine. 
So there is cleaning, that is, you must know Jesus Christ. There is cleansing, that is, the vine dresser will prune you. He prunes out of love for you that you bear much fruit. And then there is cleaving. Cleaving. Notice verses 4 to 6. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch, dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. So we have to be careful here, because it almost sounds like we are the ones who keep ourselves salvifically in Christ. It's almost as if we're reading the words of Jesus Christ and he is saying, you, you need to make sure you're kept saved. Make sure you're in me. Make sure you remain in me. And we read that sometimes as if he's talking about salvation. Some of our Bibles even use the word remain. That's a good word. Meno is the term here. It's true. The word remain can cause some confusion if we're not careful. But Jesus is not speaking about salvation here. Right? You're already clean, he says to the disciples. Salvation has already taken place. They're already true branches. He's not talking about remaining a true branch. He already said to them in verse 3, you're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. So the issue at hand here is not making sure that we as Christians are kept saved or kept clean, to use the terminology and the metaphor here, but rather ensuring that we are continually being exposed to the character of the vine. That's the idea. Not that we are saved, keeping ourselves saved, but rather that we continually are being exposed to the very character of the vine. I think it's been said well by Ray Stedman in his book, Secrets of the Spirit. He says this, quote, when the Lord says, abide in me, he's talking about the will, about the choices, the decisions that we make. We have to decide to do things which expose ourselves to him and keep ourselves in contact with him. This is what it means to abide in him. He goes on to say, we've been placed into Christ by the Holy Spirit. Now we have to choose to maintain that relationship by the decisions we make. Decisions to expose ourselves to His Word in order to learn about Him. To relate to Him in prayer, wherein we converse with Him. Decisions to relate to other believers in the body, in, in body life experiences. Bearing one another's burdens, confessing our faults, sharing in fellowship with one another. Wherein we learn about and see Christ in one another. All of this is designed to relate to Him. And he says, if we do that, we are fulfilling this active, necessary decision of the will to obey his word. To do what he says and stay in touch with him, unquote. Well, that's really what abiding is in a nutshell. 
remaining, holding fast to the Word of Christ. It's, it's willing submission to His Word. It's, it's that outflow of holding fast to Him, the outflow of, of willing submission. It's practical obedience to the Word of Christ. That's abiding. That's remaining. In Jesus' parable of the seeds, Matthew 13 and Luke chapter 8, the only soil that bore fruit was the one that held fast the seed of the Word. Luke 8, chapter, verse 13. The only one that produced fruit was the one that held fast the seed of the word. In fact, in that very passage, or I mean here, Jesus says in verse 4, notice, you cannot bear fruit apart from me. In other words, you cannot bear fruit in isolation. You, you, cannot ha- you will not have a fruit-bearing life if you stay unrelated to Jesus Christ, if you stay away from Christ. You stay away from the Word. You're clean because of the Word that I spoke to you, and it is the Word that you must remain and abide in. You must ensure that you are intimately and submissively holding fast to His Word. Verse 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches, He who abides in me, and I in Him, He bears much fruit. Notice he doesn't put the he will bear much fruit or he has bared much fruit, but no, he bears much fruit. Fruit is a sign of true life. Fruit is a sign of abiding. Fruit is a sign of being cleansed and being clean. It is the reflection that the branch is real. False branches don't bear fruit. Real branches are fruit-bearing branches. And it's the Father's desire, as Jesus says here, that they will bear not just a little bit. They will bear much fruit. Much fruit. But the Father will not produce the fruit in the branch separate from Christ. The Father will not do what He has commanded us to do. We must abide. Abide is a command. Verse 4, it's a command. Abide in me. A pattern of continually remaining in Christ. Continual, constant interaction with the truth of God, with the truth of Jesus Christ. You cannot bear fruit otherwise. We must abide. John says in his epistle, first epistle, Chapter 2, verse 6, the, only, the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. You see the reflection of the vine in the branch, right? The one who says that they abide in Christ, the one who says that, yeah, I'm remaining in Christ, yes, I'm attached to the vine, the one who says they are ought to look like the vine. They ought to walk in the same manner that he walked. If we say we are true branches, then the life of the vine ought to be present in our lives. That's Jesus' point. I'm the vine. You're the branch. If you're a real branch, you'll be a fruit bearer. My life will be present in your life.
Charles Spurgeon said this, quote, We cannot separate Christ from the Word. We cannot separate Christ from the Word, for in the first place, He is the Word. And in the next place, how dare we call Him Master and Lord and do not the things which He says and reject the truth which He teaches. How can we say that He is Lord and Master if we reject what He says and what He teaches? We must obey, He says. We must obey His precepts or He will not accept us as disciples. Especially that precept of love which is the essence of all His words. If you will not have Christ and His words, neither will He have you or your words. Spurgeon had a way with words. Christ is the vine. The Father is the vine dresser. We are the branches. It's the desire and purpose of the vine dresser, the Father, that we, the branch, be fruit bearers. All of those that do not bear fruit show themselves to be false branches. Those who are true branches are shown to be clean and they will continually be cleansed, pruned by the Father and their fruit production will increase. They must ensure that nothing hinders the life-changing flow of His Word into them. If anyone, verse 6, does not abide, does not remain, does, if anyone basically hinders that flow in me, there's no fruit production. You show yourself to be a false disciple. So if this is true of us, if we are true branches, we will be fruit bearers and our fruit will increase. This is Jesus' point. If you abide in me, verse 7 says, and my words abide in you, and ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Why? Because by that the Father is glorified. God's desire is to glorify his very name, and he is glorified by our fruit bearing. And fruit bearing proves that we are true disciples. You notice that in verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you may bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. So we're clean, we're cleansed, we're fruit bearers. What kind of disciple are you? Look at your life. Where do you stand before the Father? If you are a Christian, it may be small, but you are a fruit bearer. If you truly are clean already, you will bear fruit. The question is, how is that fruit going to come? Is God going to be continually having to come to your 
branch and prune it so it will bear much, much, much fruit. Or, like all of us, pruning is necessary. And yet our desire to be in his word will itself be a fruit production. We'll be like the one in whom we are attached, Jesus Christ. Well, we'll finish up this section next time on our relationship with the vine before we get into the final part of John chapter 15. We're getting there. Jesus is almost at the cross. A few more chapters. And then Jesus will be on the cross and we'll see the glorious reality of all that that accomplished on our behalf. Well, let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for our time tonight, just this opportunity to once again look at the Gospel of John, to see the richness of the truth that you are producing in us fruit for your glory. Not fruit for us, not fruit really for anybody else, but fruit for your glory. Thank you for allowing us to even see that, that it might not only be a confirmation of our own salvation, but even more so be a testimony of your great grace and mercy. Thank you for pruning us. Thank you for removing things in our life that we would never remove had we been left to ourselves. I'm grateful that you are our vine dresser, that you take care of us, that you prune us so that we might be that which would produce much fruit. May our fruit be the sweetest of all, the most like Jesus Christ, the best that could ever be, that you indeed would be fully glorified as you deserve. In Christ's precious name we pray, amen.